Hey, hey, welcome to the Late Night Sports Podcast with your host, Cody Shook. As always, bringing you the latest sports action. We're having a show as frequently as possible. We're here on October 24th, 2019, episode 34, coming your way. Starting with breaking news, in Major League Baseball, David Ross was named the new Cubs manager. We know David Ross, you know, he was on Sunday Night Baseball. He has been a professional baseball player with the Cubs for a while now. He had a big home run against the Indians in the World Series a couple years ago. He's a veteran guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's a very smart guy that could really fill in for where Joe Madden took the Cubs. Everybody pretty much in that locker room knows him. And he's, I mean, he might be able to relate to them on a different level and create a different type of culture. So that is a uh, big signing there. We already saw Joe Madden get signed by the Angels, so some of those teams are starting to come off the list there. There was, I think, eight or nine teams that needed a new manager. Two of them get big names. The New England Patriots put Josh Gordon on the IR with a knee injury, and this is very weird, very peculiar here, and it just uh, makes no real sense because Josh Gordon said that his knee was getting better and he was really eyeing a return here soon and now this could um you know make it so that Josh Gordon is able to be picked up by other teams around the league um don't know really what the Patriots are going for there I don't know how they're gonna fare uh without their number one really moving forward in the season Josh Gordon is a a talent Top talent when he's healthy, when he's playing his best, uh, but to not have him uh, for an extended period of time, that could be big for the Patriots. Drew Brees is looking to return to the New Orleans Saints starting lineup for, you know, after a couple weeks of being injured with a uh, finger injury after he hit it off of a helmet earlier in the season, had to get surgery. Teddy Bridgewater comes in. He is the replacement. He was the backup. He didn't want to sign anywhere else in the offseason. He wanted to stay in New Orleans. He's still a young guy, and he went undefeated as the starter for the Saints. He played really well, but this is Drew Brees' team. So he is eyeing a return this weekend against the Cardinals, and we'll see how they do. I'm sure nothing's going to really change. Everybody expected Drew Brees to come back, and we knew six weeks or so he would be back and better than ever. We assume that he will be picking up right where Teddy Bridgewater left off, really. And, you know, you want when you go into the season, you don't hope that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be leading your team in any of the games. So you want Drew Brees to come back and, and be your starter. This is not like um, another team where, you know, um, like Colt McCoy gets hurt for the Redskins and then you have to go to another guy. Uh, it's just this is different because you have your Hall of Fame quarterback coming back. Um it's not. It's going to be fine for the Saints, and it helps that they're playing against the Cardinals. I mean, that's that's a pretty easy game to come back in. That seems like type of a, a preseason type of game, but we might see some sort of sets here with two quarterbacks. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Brees, maybe spread something out and do something crazy. We might see it one, two, three, four times a game, but you got to keep uh, Teddy Bridgewater fresh and ready to go because you never know what will happen to Drew Brees towards the end of the season. I mean, he's getting up there in age, and, and hopefully the offensive line can protect him so that way he doesn't get hurt anymore. And uh, you don't want to see Teddy Bridgewater going into the playoffs or anything like that. You want Drew Brees as your starting quarterback. So let's move on from the breaking news. Let's talk about what is going on in the sports world. The biggest, the biggest thing right now is the World Series in Major League Baseball and the Washington Nationals are there. They're in it to win it. They're up 2-0 against the Houston Astros. One of the best teams in baseball over the course of the year. Washington went to Houston and took game one and took game two. So in game one, the Nationals won the game 5-4. Max Scherzer versus Garrett Cole. It was like an all-time starting matchup in game one. It was just two aces, two guys that are the leaders for their team, and two guys that had really impressive seasons. Max Scherzer got the win. 
Five innings pitched, two earned runs, seven strikeouts. Garrett Cole, seven innings pitched, five earned runs, and six strikeouts. The Nats scored three in the fifth inning. The Astros scored one in the seventh and one in the eighth to really make it a close game. So it was five to two, and then they started chipping away and chipping away. And it's because Max Scherzer came out of the fifth, Corbin pitched the sixth, which is interesting because Corbin was set to be projected to be the number game three starter. When they get back to Washington, they were saying Corbin will be the starter in game three. That looks like he will be pushed back to game four. So then Tanner Rainey came in and he gave up a run. It was very hectic. Um, you know, that was uh, nerve wracking because Tanner Rainey is not honed in his skills yet. He throws the ball really hard, but it just wasn't really his night. But he got his confidence back in game two. We'll talk about that here in a second. Daniel Hudson, Sean Doolittle, you know, the back end of the bullpen guys. Uh, where did Sean Doolittle start? I mean, he had an up and down season. He went on the injured list for a, a little while with a knee injury. Never really got back to 100%. Wasn't in the closer role anymore. Daniel Hudson took that over. And Daniel Hudson had dominated in that spot. So Sean Doolittle... Then became the setup guy. Well, this is game one of the playoffs. The game is on the line. Who is your closer? They went to Sean Doolittle, and he did his job. He got he got the uh, got the save and uh, did everything they needed to. All the uh, positions in the spots were picked out perfectly by Davey Martinez. He is doing a phenomenal job in Washington as the manager, and it's just crazy to see where the season started to where it is now and who would have thought that this Washington Nationals team would be where they are they're just that they're good they're really good you've got guys like Ryan Zimmerman he hit a home run he got the party started for the Nationals and then you had Juan Soto he hit a home run that hit on on the train tracks the other way a lot of young talent a lot of old uh, veteran talent it's a very perfect match and mash up between the two it's really cool to see and the nationals uh they're playing really well the pitching and then the bullpen you know going into the playoffs they said uh, the experts said that the bullpen was the biggest lack the biggest you know downfall for this national team and so far they're they're maintaining they're not doing bad. You know, they're they're keeping the team in games and they're not just giving it up. Tonight, I mean, uh or last night in game two, the Nationals beat the Astros 12 to 3. Steven Strasburg started on the mound as Strasburg versus Verlander. Strasburg went six innings pitched, two earned runs, seven strikeouts. Verlander, six innings pitched, four earned runs, and six strikeouts. It was two to two after one inning. Bregman had a home run. Rendon had a double uh, for the Nats. And then the Nationals put up six runs in the seventh inning to break the tie. In a playoff game, in a World Series game, you put up six runs in one inning, you're most likely going to win the game. It's just that plain and simple because when it comes down to it, runs seem to be at a premium in playoff games. But at 12-3, to the Nationals just put it on them. They just put it on them. And then the Nats added three more in the eighth and one in the ninth. uh, Fernando Rodney came into pitch. Tanner Rainey came into pitch. And then Javi Guerra came into pitch for the Nationals. And Rainey got got his confidence back. He, He had a phenomenal inning. Didn't give up any runs. And that's what you wanted to see. Because now when you go into Washington game three, four, and five, Tanner Rainey's there. He is your seventh inning guy. Then you've got Daniel Hudson or Sean Doolittle, eighth and ninth combo. And Rodney uh, gave up a leadoff walk. The guy never got to second base. That's what you want to see. You don't want to see a guy give up a leadoff walk, but if you're going to do it, I mean, you better strand him. And they did. All the buttons were pushed correctly. You know, you had um, Kurt Suzuki hit a home run. And that was, you know, that was... uh, in the beginning, in the seventh, and he started things off really. A, a solo home run, 
got things going and you're like, oh, okay, well, they're up by one run. And then just the, the runs started coming. The hits started coming and everything worked out perfectly in the Nationals. How are they going to lose this series up to nothing? And then they have to go home for three games. There were 14,000 plus people at Nationals Park tonight and the Nationals didn't play there. The fans are going to be out in full force on Friday. I don't see how they can lose the series. Um, they they might go back to game six. They might go back to Houston for one game because, I mean, it's possible that the Astros win two games here. It's possible that the uh, Astros win three games in Washington. I just don't see it happening. The Nationals play with too much energy. They have uh, a lot of... Um, fun, different antics that they do. And they always keep it within themselves. You never really see a guy hit a home run and just stand in the box. And, and um, they don't play the baseball the wrong way. They just have fun and enjoy themselves. And this game, uh, these games in Washington are going to come down to coaching. And how is the ma- how are the managers going to play? Because pitchers have to hit for themselves in the National League ballpark. Okay, it's easy to press the right buttons on the offensive side of the, the, the spectrum when you've got a DH and you're, you're, you don't have to worry about your pitchers and you can change pitchers whenever you want, whatever. But when it comes down to it, do you want your pitcher hitting in the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth innings? Probably not. So they're going to have to have pinch hitters ready to go. And how are those guys going to play the, in those roles? Some things are going to change. Some things are going to shake out. But as long as these guys stay hot, I mean, the guy, the broadcasters were talking about John Smoltz. He said, you know, it is, this is the worst time for the Nationals to have an off day because they're going to have to go back home and on Thursday and not do anything. That momentum kind of just sits there and maybe fizzles out. Maybe you build on it. We don't know. Only time will tell. But, I mean, it's good for the Astros because they get to just sit and rest, think about things, and then go back out on attack. They know they're down 2-0. And... I mean, they have nothing to lose at this point. They know they're down 2-0. Their backs are against the wall. Either you come out and fight and try to win, or, or you just go home. The Nationals, though, they got a lot of they got a lot of pressure. The probables for starting pitching, Zach Granke versus Anibal Sanchez in Game 3. That'll be on Friday night. And then, apparently, the Houston Astros are thinking about a bullpen day bullpen game where they go with a lot of different pitchers in game four against Corbin. That's an interesting tactic. We haven't seen a lot of that other than with the Tampa Bay Rays, but if they can perfect it, if they can get them to game five with a possible matchup of what game one was with Scherzer and Garrett Cole, then the Houston Astros have a chance. If they can get to game five, they might have a chance. Might be 3-1, but they might have a chance. In the World Series so far, Juan Soto is batting 571, and he scored two runs in Game 2. Kurt Suzuki and Michael A. Taylor hit a home run in Game 2, and those are two guys that you don't expect to hit home runs. So if you're getting production from guys that you don't suspect, I mean, that that's what makes a team go. That's what is... So special about this team. You didn't have a guy like Jake Marisnik hit a home run or whatever for the Houston Astros tonight. You barely had uh, your top guys like George Springer. He went 0 for 5 in game two. So if you don't even have your top talent providing some spark at the top of that lineup, what uh, what else? What, what are you going to do? Alex Bregman hit a home run in the first inning of game two, and then he went hitless after that. I mean, that's a big credit to the Washington Nationals pitching staff and the, the catcher behind the plate, Kurt Suzuki, being able to call a fantastic game. But it's not looking good. It's not looking good for the Houston Nationals. 2-0 in any series, it, it's tough to come back from that. It really is. Because, I mean, that, but that's the beauty of a seven-game series. And it's not over. It's not even close to over. But you go to Washington now, that place is going to be rocking. I don't know. I, in my in my prediction, I think the Astros are going to win two games in Washington. So then it'll be 3-2. 
And I think it goes back to Houston, and I think the Nationals win it in game six. That's my prediction. I don't know. I predicted earlier on in the season that, or early on in the year that the Astros were going to win the World Series. Well, they're there. I just, it just does not look good. They threw their best at them. They threw Verlander and Cole. They were not able to get the job done. What makes you think Zach Greinke is going to be able to do it? He's not having that the best of um, postseasons. But you know who is? Anibal Sanchez, Patrick Corbin, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg. The Nationals are on fire right now. And tickets right now for standing room only on Friday are 1000 and up. $1,000 to stand and watch a game. That's interesting to me. Because that, I mean, that's a lot of money. But that shows, you know, a lot how in demand these tickets are. And everybody wants to go to, the, goes, go to these games. Everybody. The Nationals, 12 to 3 winners in game two. So, where does that take us now? Well, let's talk about some college football over the past week. We had a show last Wednesday, having one here, and we're going to talk about the college football top 25. Alabama 1, LSU 2, Ohio State up 1-3, to three, Clemson down 1-4, to four, Oklahoma 5, Penn State 6, 7 Florida, 8 Notre Dame, 9 Auburn, 10 Georgia, 11 Oregon, 12 Utah, 13 Wisconsin, 14 Baylor, 15 Texas, 16 SMU, 17 Minnesota, 18 Cincinnati, 19 Michigan, 20 Iowa, 21 Appalachian State, 22 Boise State, down 8. Last week we told you Boise State's going to lose this week. They did. 23 Iowa State, 24 Arizona State, down 7 after their loss to Utah. And then 25 Wake Forest. So a few shakeups there. Um, Michigan went down a little bit more. Um, Georgia at, at 10, Utah up one, Wisconsin down seven after their loss to Illinois. Uh, Lovey Smith, the head coach for Illinois in the fighting Illini, they got a late turnover. It was an interception thrown right around midfield by Wisconsin and they kind of ran the clock out. Michigan hit or Illinois hits a last second field goal, walk off winners. Just like that, they knock off Wisconsin, and it didn't. It just made no sense to me because Wisconsin's leading this game, and on the last drive, they don't even give the ball to their Heisman candidate, Jonathan Taylor, to try to run the clock out. You never know when that man's going to break one loose and go all the way to the house. And they're deciding to throw the ball. The quarterback overthrows his receiver and underthrows another one, and it lands right in Illinois arms. It's just right, right in the defender's arms. And... That's just that's just poor. That's just poor coaching, poor execution. And frankly, it shows that Wisconsin can be beaten. And they drop all the way down to 13. And that's that's tough for the Big Ten. All the way around. I think that's really tough for the Big Ten. Oregon, they beat Washington 35 to 31. Washington made their way back into the top 25. And then their third loss of the season. Jacob Eason just wasn't able to get the job done. And Oregon sneaks back up in there. They're at 11 and 35-31 winners. And it was, um, it, was a, it was a good game all in all. But Washington, if they wanted to have any hope in the pack, they had to win that game. And no dice. They, I mean, there's no chance for them anymore. Uh, we're about halfway through the season now, a little over it. And three losses, not going to cut it for anything. Virginia Tech beat UNC 43 to 41 in a six overtime game. Missed field goals left and right. Uh, just failed two point conversions. Just bad. Just bad. And UNC, I mean, how do you go from beating, almost beating the number one, number two team in Clemson to losing to Virginia Tech? How do you do that? I, I don't know. Maybe you only show up for the biggest games. That's what it looks like. Penn State beat Michigan 28-21 in Happy Valley for the I mean, for the whiteout, uh, full crowd. But if Penn State wants to be taken seriously, they got to beat Michigan by more than seven points. I understand Michigan's very good. Uh, they're a tough team. Their defense is good. Their offense is, they say, 
coming together, figuring it out. It doesn't look like that, but they put up 21 points. The game never really felt close, but Michigan did have a chance to tie the game late. They just didn't do it. Not even close. I mean, they just they, they just Michigan ended up, and that was really it. And Michigan drops now down to 19. And I mean, they I mean they had a tough schedule. I think they had to play six ranked teams over the course of this season, and it was just going to be too tough for them. That's that's a kind of an unfair schedule. I think Penn State only had to play four ranked teams, and Ohio State had to play five. These were on rankings at the very beginning of the year. I mean, obviously things change now, but at the very beginning of the year, that's how many ranked teams they were set to play. But Michigan's still fighting. They're still in there. Uh, ranked 19, one of their, their biggest wins was against Iowa, who is now at 20, which is one, one right below them. And, you know, that's the, the, the college football top 25 and the biggest storylines from this past weekend. Let's talk about our Heisman picks, and let's talk about their updated stats. Tua... He got injured with a high ankle sprain. He is out this weekend against Arkansas, but he was still able to put up some numbers. 2,166 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, and two interceptions. Those are like video game numbers. And he's still a front runner. Uh, It's unfortunate that he won't be there against um, Arkansas because he'd probably put up three, four, five touchdowns and do his thing. So he hurts a little bit from that. Here is a big one. Jonathan Taylor, 957 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns, 138 receiving yards, 4 touchdowns. He accounts for 19 touchdowns. Justin Fields, 1,492 yards, 22 touchdowns, 1 interception with 291 rushing yards and 8 touchdowns. He accounts for 30 touchdowns. Jonathan Taylor and Justin Fields have to play each other this weekend. Wisconsin at Ohio State for our biggest game of the weekend Wisconsin has to go to Ohio State in the horseshoe. This is a make-or-break game for Jonathan Taylor and Justin Fields. If one of these guys does not do well, they're out of the Heisman race. Right now, they're both in the thick of things. They're both in the short list of probably 10. You know, it narrows down here and there. But they're they're there in the top 10, top 7. One, one or two of them in the top 3. But if this game doesn't go well for one of those two guys, they're out. No, no chance. You've got to show up in the biggest games. Jonathan Taylor and Wisconsin, I don't know if they're going to be able to put up points the way Ohio State is going to. But here's the thing. Is Ohio State going to be able to put up points against Wisconsin's defense? It's it's this weird like problem that it, it, only time will tell because Ohio State's offense, they're going to put up a lot of points against any team. Okay, but Wisconsin's got a really good defense. So Ohio State might struggle. Okay, so then Wisconsin, are they going to be able to run the ball enough to make Jonathan Taylor effective? Well, if Ohio State scores a lot of points, they're not going to run the ball a lot. So then Jonathan Taylor becomes obsolete and it doesn't matter. Okay, but if Wisconsin is able to hang with Ohio State or stop Ohio State from scoring a lot, then the running game gets going. But if the running game is unable to get going because of Ohio State's very talented, very fast and strong defense, Jonathan Taylor becomes obsolete again. So there's two different ways that Jonathan Taylor could really ruin his season in one game this weekend against Ohio State. Justin Fields, I mean, you got 22 touchdowns, one interception, and eight rushing touchdowns. If if you can give me two two passing touchdowns, two rushing t- touchdowns, whatever, you're right there. I mean, if you beat Wisconsin, yeah, they're ranked 13. That's just because they lost to an unranked team. But if they would have lost to a ranked team, they'd be in the top 10 still because Wisconsin's still a very good team. They always are. They've got a very tough defense. So that's really that's where our Heisman picks are at right now. That's who we picked at the very beginning of the season. And we're going to stick with them. We're going to talk a little bit more about some different guys here in just a second. But first, we're going to talk about the biggest games of the weekend. Wisconsin-Ohio State already talked about it. Auburn at LSU. That is number two LSU and number nine Auburn. This is Joe Burrows, a, a, you know, a veteran quarterback, going up against Knicks, who is a freshman. Auburn's offense has not looked good this year, uh, but they've come around. 
They've started to figure it out slowly. But are they going to be able to handle LSU? This is one of the most talented wide receiving cores in the country. They're up there with Alabama. And Joe Burrows knows how to facilitate and get the ball out. That is one of the biggest games of the weekend. The next two, very big, but... You know they're uh, they're not they're not at the caliber of Wisconsin, Ohio State, Auburn at LSU, Penn State at Michigan State. We talked about early in the season, Michigan State. What do they do? But knock off teams and ruin dreams. That's what they do. Penn State's got to go to Mich- Michigan State. East Lansing's not an easy place to play. If Penn State can roll. And win this game easily, then we start taking notes. We start saying, okay, Penn State beat Michigan. They beat Michigan State on the road. Now, their biggest test, Ohio State. Okay, if they do well against Ohio State, if they beat Ohio State, they then Big Ten Championship. But you got to beat Michigan State first. You can't just dismiss this game because you're on the road and it's not a whiteout. It's not in Happy Valley. Penn State has to win this game if they want to be taken seriously because Michigan State, this is what they do. They're having a bad year. It's what Michigan State does. When they're having bad years, they they focus in on one or two games and they figure out how to win them. It's what they do. The next one, we have Notre Dame at Michigan. Notre Dame right now is number eight in the country and Michigan number 19. Notre Dame wins this game. They probably go up in the rankings and they might jump Florida. But that's as high as they'll go. Because the top six right now, undefeated. Seven, Florida, they just lost to LSU. They didn't drop much, obviously. And then after that, we've got the one-loss teams. The the Florida, Notre Dame, Auburn, Georgia, Oregon, Utah, Wisconsin. If Notre Dame wins this game, they might jump to seven. Maybe. Because the rankings are always, what what have you done for me lately? If they lose this game, they're probably out of the top 15. Michigan probably jumps back into the top 15. But I don't know. I I see Notre Dame winning this game. I don't see Michigan having a chance. Even though the offense is, quote-unquote, coming around and getting better. So those are our biggest games of the week. In college football, we had Wisconsin at Ohio State, Auburn at LSU, Penn State at Michigan State, Notre Dame at Michigan. Let me know what you think. Are there any uh, big games that I missed? Who do you think uh, is going to win some of these games? Let me know on Twitter, Cody underscore Shook. Thank you so much for listening on iTunes to the Late Night Sports Podcast. Um, trying to have a show as often as possible. And maybe it's starting, uh, maybe it's just a once a week thing right now. And then we'll get back to the daily. Not sure yet, but you know we're, we're trying to make it uh, as quality as possible. And... Right now, we're going to talk about some some hypotheticals and some questions we've got coming in for college football. And our first one is, if Ohio State loses this weekend against Wisconsin, will a Big Ten team be in the playoff? Okay, so there's about three teams that have a chance right now. Right? About three teams. And that would be Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Ohio State number three, Penn State six, Wisconsin thirteen. Only four teams make it into the playoff, and then the five, the, the six, uh, five and six get to play each other in, in a game that doesn't matter at all. Ohio State number three. If they lose to Wisconsin at home, they'll probably drop to seven, eight, or nine. Because they will be ranked below Penn State. They'll be ranked well below Oklahoma. But they might be ranked above Florida. It depends on how um, the AP rates Florida's loss to LSU, things like that. But if Ohio State loses, and then Ohio State beats Penn State, and then Ohio State beats Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, are they going to put Ohio State in, in the playoff? That's the only way. That is the only way. If Ohio State loses to Wisconsin this weekend, then beats Penn State and beats uh, and wins the Big Ten Championship, 
That is the only way. But, I mean, if Penn State beats Ohio State, Penn State wins the Big Ten, how does how does the committee judge Penn State? We've seen in the past that they don't judge them very highly. They're not the committee's favorite. So that'll be an interesting one. I say if Ohio State loses this weekend to Wisconsin, there will not be a team from the Big Ten represented in the playoff. Because at that point, you go Alabama, LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma. I mean, that's the the, the clearest and the obvious, right? But it would be tough for Ohio State to come back from that and then have to beat Penn State and then have to win the Big Ten Championship. That's a lot of pressure, especially on a first-year head coach at Ohio State. Next question, does Notre Dame have a chance at making the playoffs? This is the endless debate. Endless. It's every single year, no matter what Notre Dame's record is. Is Notre Dame going to be in the playoff? Absolutely not. Right now, they're ranked eighth. They have to play Michigan this weekend. It's probably going to be a close game. That doesn't give me any points. And that knocks Michigan out of the top 25. And that is no longer a quality win. Notre Dame does not have a conference championship game at the end of the year. They will be at home. There's no chance they make the playoff. They're eight right now. And uh, yeah, they, they have a tough schedule. They play some tough teams. But that I don't care. I want to see different conferences represented. Ohio, uh, Notre Dame, I, I just... You, you have the one loss. It was to Georgia. And now you're ranked ahead of Georgia by two. Georgia's at 10. That was a close game. Georgia just loses to South Carolina, an unranked team. But Notre Dame... They, they don't have that conference championship game to really bolster their strength of schedule. So no, my answer is no. Notre Dame does not have a chance at the playoff this year. Final question here about college football before we move on. Who is more likely to win the Heisman? Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma? Well, they're two different, two different guys. Two different styles at the quarterback position. Jalen Hurts likes to run the ball a lot. We've seen that do well. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Joe Burrow is a guy that slings it around and gets it to his playmakers and wins big-time games. But I think that the voters... Go in favor of Jalen Hurts because he's putting up video game numbers like Tua. And Jalen Hurts, so far he's won the big games. So is Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow still has a couple tests to go. I mean, this weekend, Auburn, he's still got to face Alabama. Does he have? Do they have a chance at making it to the SEC championship game? I think they, they, the voters would go with Jalen Hurts. He is, I mean, we've seen him put up big numbers before. We've seen him win the big time games. He's putting his team in the right position every single week. And he's doing a good job. I think Jalen Hurts has a more is a, has a better chance of winning the Heisman than Joe Burrow at this very moment. And I don't see that changing. I really don't. So that's enough talk about college football. We talked about last weekend. We talked about the upcoming weekend and all the biggest things. So now let's talk about the NFL after seven weeks. The Patriots and 49ers remain undefeated. The Dolphins and Bengals remain winless. The struggle continues. The Ravens beat the Seahawks in Seattle. Lamar Jackson showed up and showed out. 30-16 final score. Pretty easy. And it was a pretty boring week in the NFL, to be honest with you. The 49ers, they beat their, their opponent, the Redskins, 9-0 in Washington, D.C. And it was, the, the field conditions were sloppy. It was bad. It was raining the entire time. And it came down to like three field goals. It just wasn't, it was so bad. 9-0 final score. And the Redskins became like the second team in like the past like 30 years to cover the spread without scoring a point. The last time it was like the Steelers versus the Dolphins. But the 49ers show that they are able to go on the road and win 
with not the best playing conditions. They're down two tackles. They're down their fullback. But they did just trade for Emmanuel Sanders. They traded Emmanuel Sanders for Emmanuel Sanders. Um, They traded away a third and a fourth round draft pick. And they also got a fifth round draft pick in return. Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent at the very end of the year. So this is a rental. And if they are able to sign him to maybe a two, three, four year deal afterwards, this could pay off to be a very good trade for the 49ers. And Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's 14 and 2 as a starting quarterback in the NFL, 12 and 2 as the 49ers quarterback. That's recipe for success. Kyle Shanahan has really turned that team around. His play calling seems to be on point right now, and he knows how to get the best out of his players. Now let's talk about the division leaders at the very moment. The Patriots lead their division. Ravens, Colts, and Chiefs are the leaders in their respective divisions in the AFC. The NFC division leaders, Cowboys, Packers, Saints, and 49ers. Of all those teams, are there any that are shocking? Well, at the beginning of the year when Andrew Luck retired, Jacoby Brissett had to step up and he was the quarterback. So I would say the only one that's surprising there is the Colts. Because no one would have suspected the Colts to be doing, you know, not this well, but this well enough to be leading their division after seven weeks of football. Can that continue? Probably. Uh, We talked about it a few weeks ago, what division's the most up for grabs. It was that one. And it still is. I don't think either team, any team, has run away with it. So, Patriots, Ravens, Colts, Chiefs lead, leading the AFC. Cowboys, Packers, Saints, and 49ers. The NFC. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Which one's the most surprising? Without a doubt, it's the 49ers. We, it has to be the 49ers. Now that I think about it, even more. Uh, you know, I just changed my opinion or mid, mid-segment mid there. Um the only people that thought the 49ers would be in this position are 49ers fans. That's without a doubt. And then half of them were skeptical. The Rams are in the, that division. The Seahawks are in the, that division. And then everybody, uh, you know, people were thinking, oh my goodness, Kyler Murray's got to change the world in, in Saint, um, in, uh, for the Cardinals. In Arizona. But, They've kind of corrupted Kyler Murray, and he's more of a game manager at this very moment. He is struggling to do anything. They got the win last week against the Giants. Big deal. The Giants are terrible. But Kyler Murray, they got to open up the playbook and let this man run free. That's the only way he's going to succeed in the NFL. The biggest games of Week 8, there are four big ones in my opinion. The Eagles are at the Bills. The Bills are in second place in um, the AFC East with the Patriots right above them. And then the Eagles, I mean, they're still fighting for their lives. Still fighting. I mean, they just lost the game against the Packers last week. And what what, what are the Eagles going to be? Are they going to fight? Are they going to try to make it into the playoffs this year? This game could go a long way in their season. The Panthers at the 49ers. 49ers, this is one of their biggest tests so far. And they're, I mean, the Panthers, they're hot. They got their backup quarterback playing out of his mind. Cam Newton um, probably coming back after this week. But, do you, I mean, we talked about that on last week's show. If you want to hear what my opinions were, go back on iTunes. It's there. Uh, episode 33 talking about the Panthers quarterback situation. That's a big game. Undefeated 49ers at home. That stadium's going to be rocking because, you know, anytime the team's undefeated this late in the season, people will start to take notes. The Browns play in Foxborough against the Patriots, and I, I don't know why, but I have a weird feeling about it. I have a weird feeling about this game. I feel like the Browns love to play villain, love that little chip on their shoulder, this is the perfect time to express that and try to win a game. The Browns are at the Patriots. It's a huge game. The Patriots undefeated. They've got to lose at some point. Will it be against the Browns? Only time will tell. And then we've got the Packers at the Chiefs. These are two division leaders going head-to-head. 
the Chiefs, maybe, maybe, maybe not having Patrick Mahomes coming off of an injury, and then the Packers are surging. The offense looks phenomenal. It looks unbeatable. And now they have a defense. Aaron Rodgers has said that multiple times. Now they have a defense. That's a look at the NFL after seven weeks and looking towards the eighth. It's going to be another great week weekend of football. We've got Thursday night football, and then we've got Friday and Saturday college football, and then Sunday, Monday of NFL. So now let's turn tables 180, and let's talk NASCAR. Right now, we are going to talk with our NASCAR insider, Jake Flatley. We're here on the Late Night Sports Podcast with our NASCAR insider, Jake Flatley. Jake, how are you doing, buddy? Howdy, Cody. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Awesome, awesome. Now, let's talk some NASCAR here. We did not, uh, we were not able to have an interview last week, so let's cover a little bit about Talladega. And, you know, it was a crazy race. We knew going into it, it was it was going to be insane. We, we didn't know who was going to win. We didn't know who had the best chance. We thought that there was going to be one big one. There ended up being a few. And by the end of it, there were only like 15 cars out there. It was crazy. And it was just classic Talladega, wasn't it? Oh, it was awesome, though. It was thrilling, every part of it. You didn't know who was going to win at the end, and I think that's why people liked it and that's why it's such a thriller in the playoffs because, you know, the winner uh, punches a ticket to the next round happened to be Ryan Blaney. And, I mean, it was one of the closest finishes in Talladega history. And uh, it, and it because of the big ones in the wreck, it sure did add a lot of intrigue to the Kansas race, which we'll get to here in a few minutes. But uh, you just look at the standings from Talladega. And you have guys like uh, Michael McDowell in fifth, Dylan sixth, Corey LaJoy seventh, Ricky Stenhouse ninth, Ty Dillon tenth, Ross Casting twelfth, Matt Tip, Landon Castle, Parker Kligerman all top fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at that right now, and I was just going to say Corey LaJoy finished seventh. At Talladega, and that's just that just shows how crazy this race was. Ryan Blaney got the win, and, and you know that advances him. That gives him, you know, all, you know, punch that ticket onto the next round. I mean, that was huge for him. Indeed, it was, and and uh, you know, before Talladega, when we talked, you know, we kind of thought it would be a Ford up there, and we mentioned Team Penske and their two top dogs, Joey Logano and Brad Keselowski. We really didn't talk a whole lot about Blaney, and it was impressive the way he got it done. And uh, and it just goes without saying. And obviously, uh, Blaney's in the round of eight, and guess what happened at Kansas? Yeah. Kozlowski kind of choked a little bit, and he's not in the next round. He's not in the round of eight. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But I want to talk to you just really quickly. What are your thoughts on stage racing? I was never really a big fan of it until I watched this Talladega race, and they're going three and four wide to finish stage one of a race. I I, I came to like it as well. I think that it really does reward the driver's uh, because you see how the points reset in these rounds. And all the bonus points that Kyle Bush has racked up, he's backed up into first place heading into the round of eight. And uh, I think it rewards the drivers uh, for season performances, and it makes the end of the stages uh, better. And uh, you have drivers fighting to get back on the lead lap at the end of the stages. There's strategy as well. Um, so it does, it does make it a little interesting. I'd say that I do not like the stages at the road courses. Um, I think they've kind of ruined the road courses. But other than that, uh, I really like them. Alrighty, so then that'll take us on here to this past weekend. They were at Kansas, and a lot was on the line. This was the race that was the cutoff to get to the round of eight, and it was thrilling the entire way. Uh, and Denny Hamlin comes away with the victory. It was. It really was a great race. You had two late cautions, and it sent it into a uh, overtime. 
and uh, really the, that the first caution, the first late caution, they were, you know, a millisecond away from getting, they had a green-white checkered flag, and uh, they went one lap, and they never got back to get the white flag before they started wrecking. They were really close, so they redid it again in second overtime. Denny Hamlin got the job done. Chase Elliott finished his second. He needed uh, a masterful race. And to get a lot of positions from Brad Kozlowski, he got 17 of them as Brad finished 19th, Chase finished second. And I thought Chase might win that race. He almost did. And if there wasn't those two late cautions, I thought he was going to reel off Hamlin. But don't look now, but Denny Hamlin is very hot at the right time. Yeah, and so Denny Hamlin first place, Chase Elliott second, Kyle Busch third, Kurt Busch fourth, William Byron fifth, Martin Truex sixth, Eric Jones seventh, Clint Boyer eighth, Kevin Harvick ninth, and then Jimmy Johnson rounding out the top ten. That's one of the cool things about NASCAR. Every year, seem uh, lately, seems to be a different guy winning each week and a different guy winning the championship at the end of the year. That's, I mean, that's unlike any other sport really at this time. Yeah, there's a whole lot of parity, and this year, I think, if you just look at the odds in Vegas, uh, they have, you know, five, six guys right up there that you're just, you can bet on, and, and there's good value everywhere across the board. There's no, you know, Golden State Warriors, New England Patriots, Houston Astros that seem to be in there. Right, right. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, all the sports have their... Teams, but right now you're looking at, you know, Kyle Busch has, has, hasn't won a t- title in a few years. And I mean, he hasn't won a race in half the season. And uh, there's been, you know, six or seven Joe Gibbs victory lane celebrations that have gone on before he's won his, his last one. And I know he's hungry and he's up there now, but Bush, Truex, Hamlin. All these guys. I mean, I, I really don't know. It's very tough to bet. Yeah, and that's you know that's one of the crazy things about NASCAR is you don't have to win each week or even every month, whatever, uh, every four, five, six races to stay in in the the chase or the hunt. Kyle Busch, he's in first place right now. He has four wins, but he's finished in the top ten twenty four times, and that's why he finds himself at the leaderboard right now. Yeah, and and. I think it's a lot of it, like you said, goes with, uh, like we mentioned, the stages and the stage points. And he's just he's just damn good and consistent, and uh, he's he's the, is the favorite right now. Um, but it's not by much, and and when you look at coming into Martinsville, and, and we'll get to our pick, the Martinsville picks in a second, um, but. Sometimes it's the most consistent, and then you get down to the race in Miami, the championship race, and obviously it's the best finisher out of the four cars that are left wins, wins the cup. And uh, more than likely, it, it could be Kyle Busch. Absolutely. So right now, the standings going into the round of eight at Martinsville. Kyle Busch one, Martin Truex two, Denny Hamlin three, Joey Logano four, Kevin Harvick five, Chase Elliott six, Kyle Larson seven, and then Ryan Blaney at eight, Martin Shre- or Brad Keselowski, excuse me, uh, like you just mentioned, I mean, he got eliminated right there at the very end of the race at Kansas. Yeah, it was it was a tough break for him and William Byron, Clint Boyer, Alex Bowman all showed the door. Uh, but you know, for the sake of the sport, I kind of enjoyed watching Chase Elliott advance because he's the most popular driver. We all know that. And I think he has a very good chance at Martinsville. You saw, what, two years ago, I believe, is when the incident between him and Denny Hamlin happened. And uh, in this fall, this fall Martinsville race has always been a crazy one. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Obviously, Blaney is now back in eighth in the standings. Uh, pretty much that Blaney and Larson... Um, I think those two need to win a race to get in. I think Elliott and Six can get in on the points. He's only six back in the final cutoff spot. But you look, there's three races in this round and four make it to the championship. So you got to think three of these races will probably be won by one of these top eight drivers. So it's going to be t- 
tough getting in on points. Do you think at any point in this this round, this round of three races, there we'll see some chippiness on the the racetrack? Any any wrecks between the top eight guys trying to fight for position or anything like that? Oh, definitely. I think you'll see it this weekend in Martinsville. Uh, remember last year, Cody, uh, the drama, Joey Logano and Martin Truex Jr. went bumping and banging to the finish line, and uh, Logano won the race, went to Miami. Truex said he, he might have won this, but he's not going to win the war. And Logano went to Miami and shocked everyone and won the championship. And uh, Truex was pretty mad about that because they, they were racing clean. It was one of the best races of the season last year. Uh, Truex and Logano battled for the lead those last, you know, 20 laps back and forth. Racing clean. They got to the final turn. Truex had him, I thought. Logano decides to bump him up the track and move him, and they beat and bang to the finish line. So it does. I mean, this is it. Championships on the line. There's been such a long season that started in February. You have to take your chances now if you have them. Do you give any slight of edge to a racer like Joey Logano because he's not scared to do things like that and, and you know, bump guys and, and, you know, get under the skin a little bit, whereas a guy like Kyle Larson or Ryan Blaney, even a little bit Chase Elliott, they're probably not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, Logano has, has shown that he's willing to do that, and I think because of that, I think some drivers aren't really big fans of his, so they might be willing to give it to him back. And, uh, you know, there's a fine line between good hard racing and, I guess, moving someone for a championship. And I think the majority of these drivers probably would. I don't know. I guess we'll see if they're put in the situation. But I think out of the eight drivers remaining, I think you look at Joey Logano and uh, Kyle Busch is those guys that would definitely – uh, be racing you hard and, and wouldn't think twice about putting the bumper to you if they need a W. We're here on the Late Night Sports Podcast with our NASCAR insider, Jake Flatley, and we're getting to our picks here for the first round of the round of eight here at Martinsville. Jake, who do you have going to victory lane? Who do you think is going to impress this week? Well, I will actually be at the race, Cody. We have uh, some VIP tickets. So the only thing that would make it better than what it will be is if Chase Elliott wins. And uh, I'm going to pick Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is your pick to win Martinsville. All right, lock it in. And then my uh, next one, my sleeper would be Denny Hamlin. I think it's his year to win the championship. Probably at the end of the week, I'm going to go on uh, Sportsbook, and I will probably put down money on Denny Hamlin to win the Monster Energy Cup. Uh, you know what? I was I, that, That's who my pick was to win Martinsville. I'm going with Denny Hamlin. I just think that, you know, I think this could be a turning point in his, his chase and really lock it up and send him to Miami. Without a doubt. I mean, he, he's a Virginia boy. This is his home track. He's, he's won over three dozen cup races and and he doesn't have a cup championship and you know it's now or never they've been on a roll so the race this weekend at martinsville starts at 3 p.m after that they will be in texas and then in phoenix for this round of eight three races to go and then after that the final one in miami uh i'm I'm pretty excited for this weekend it's gonna be a good one to get down to the track. What uh, Are you going to go down to see the races on Saturday as well? I will not be able to go on Saturday, uh, but I am going bright and early Sunday morning. Uh, the race is until 3 o'clock on Sunday on NBCSN. And the more uh, likely that the race will finish on, under the lights, I'm excited about that. We're staying over at Martinsville Sunday night, and I uh, can't wait to get a couple of the famous Martinsville hot dogs. Man, that is that sounds like an awesome time. I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of a uh, lot of videos of you at Martinsville. That's awesome. Definitely, definitely, I'll be tweeting that out and 
doing everything. Yeah, absolutely. If you are listening on the Late Night Sports Podcast, give our NASCAR insider Jake Flatley a follow on Twitter, at Jake Flatley, uh, and you can you can see what we see uh, from NASCAR coverage, football, everything. You name it. He's got it. <laughs> Thanks for the shout, Cody. All right. All right, Jake. Thank you so much for being on the Late Night Sports Podcast, and uh, talk to you about the same time next week. Yes, sir, brother. Boogity, boogity. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. And that was a look around the NASCAR world there with our NASCAR insider, Jake Flatley. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Jake Flatley, for you know all the news and everything in sports. He tweets a lot about uh, NASCAR and football and base- baseball. It doesn't matter. The man knows his stuff. Give him a follow. Um, always great having him on the Late Night Sports Podcast here with us. Uh, absolutely love it. And now we are going to talk about NBA Opening day, it happened yesterday, and it was there were two games, the Clippers and Lakers and the Raptors and Pelicans, and now, now it really is the greatest time in the sports world because we've got it all. We literally have it all. Baseball, football, basketball, hockey, NASCAR, everything. Is at our fingertips. Kyrie Irving scored 50 points, but they lost to the Timberwolves in overtime. That's tough. That's a tough way to start the season. 76ers beat the Celtics 107-96. A, a lot of talk going on about what are the Celtics going to be. Well, they came out flat tonight, and they did not play well. Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Those are two really good basketball players. They've got to put it together if they want to make any sort of run in the East this year. The Clippers beat the Lakers 112-102. LeBron had 18 points. And Kawhi Leonard, same face, new place, 30 points on opening day. The Raptors beat the Pelicans in overtime 130-122. And the Raptors, they got their rings. Won, won the t- uh, championship last year, and Fred Van Fleet and Siakam both scored 34 points each in their first game of the season. Good start. And here's the biggest news out of Pelicans camp. Zion Williamson out for six to eight weeks with a knee injury. Possible torn meniscus out for six to eight weeks, and people are saying Zion Williamson is fat. Is that true? Absolutely not. How are you going to call that monster overweight in the slightest? He can do things that 80% of America cannot do. And you're going to say that he, he hurt his knee because he's overweight? I just don't see how that's possible. So that is a look around the NBA. Obviously, we'll talk more about the NBA as the season goes on in a little bit more in depth with better, you know, more more coverage, more questions, things like that. But that's just a look around opening day and, and you know, we're getting started. We're getting things started here on the Late Night Sports Podcast. Just just testing the water right now for the NBA, just like we did with the NHL. We talked we covered the first couple games, things like that, and now we're just going to talk strictly standings on our NHL update here on the Late Night Sports Podcast in the Eastern Conference. The Atlantic Division, the Sabres, are in first place, 8-1-1 with 17 points. The Bruins, 6-1-2 with 14 points. And the Toronto Maple Leafs, 5-4-2 with 12 points. The Metropolitan Division, the Capitals lead it right now, 7-2-2 record with 16 points. That's four more points then second place, the Hurricanes, 6-3-0, 12 points. And the Penguins, 6-5-0, also 12 points. So right now the Capitals lead that division and second place in the conference. In the Western Conference, we've got the Central Division, the Avalanche, 7-1-1 with 15 points. The Predators, 5-3-1, 11 points. And they are tied with the Blues, who are 4-2-1, also with 11 points. In the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, in the NHL, the Oilers, 7-2-1 with 15 points. The Vegas Golden Knights, 7-4-0 with 14 points. And the Vancouver Canucks, 6-3-0 with 12 points. That is all we have 
for you guys here tonight on the Late Night Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys all so much for tuning in. It was a great show. We covered a lot of action. A lot of action. If you have any questions, comments, anything you want to talk about with sports, hit me up on Twitter. At Cody underscore Shook 39. And we'll talk sports anytime you want. Our next show will most likely be next Wednesday night. Next Thursday morning, it will come out. As soon as I hit stop, throw it on iTunes, and you guys are able to listen. Make sure you are subscribed, so that way it comes to your phone instantly. It will send a notification to you, and you don't have to wonder when I post the show. Sounds simple enough? Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Late Night Sports Podcast. Please tell your friends to tune in every week. Thank you guys so much, and enjoy the rest of your day.